Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Hey, it's going to be intense today. We're going to talk about not eating food. We're going to talk about the devil. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Old Testament. It's going to be intense. I just, but we're going to punch 2023 in the mouth. You guys ready? All right. Let me introduce you to uh, someone. Uh, his name is Averigus Ponticus. He was born in Turkey in, in 340, uh, 345 A.D., and um, he is known as the patron saint of solitude. How many introverts do we have in the room? This is, if you're, some of you are willing to admit it. Okay. Um, somebody aptly pointed out, like, introverts aren't going to raise their hand. It's like, you're right. So how many extroverts do we have in the room? Okay, the ones who aren't raising their hand. Okay, that's, that's a better way of doing it. Uh, this is your guy, right? This is the guy, this is solitude guy, and this is uh, what you want. He was, but uh, the reason why I'm bringing him up is that he, he moved to Constantinople, which is the center of the Roman Empire, and he would have described himself as a nominal Christian with a lust issue. Uh, Christianity had taken root not just in Israel among Jews, but had spread out throughout the Roman Empire. In fact, by this time period, uh, most people in the Roman Empire would have called themselves a Christian, and it just began... Um, it just began, um, le- just Christianity just became legal after 300 years of state-sponsored genocide. And so this is where he was, and he, he had a little bit of a, a lust, issue, lust issue, and he had a wake-up call, and specifically he had a dream. And in his dream, he had this affair with a prominent politician's wife, and he was being imprisoned for it. And, and it was like, oh my gosh, I've got to get this under control. I've allowed certain things to take over my life. And so what he does is he went out into the desert to, quote, fight the devil in prayer, as you do. And so we, uh, but he was one of thousands, really, uh, that in this time period that historians now call the desert fathers and mothers um, who went out to pray. And, and what had happened, like I said, is that the Roman Empire was in a bit of a, a disarray and that the church had gone from this, this prophetic minority to this moral, or this, uh, I shouldn't say moral majority, I should say uh, political majority, and the results was a mixed bag. There were some positives, some, some real positives. One is that Christian values had spread into the empire. And, and, and as a little fun fact, if you follow where Christianity has taken root in a society, you would see a lot of amazing things like hospitals and civil rights and a lot of really cool stuff. So, so that was happening. But the other thing was happening was that the values of the culture were getting into Christians. And in fact, in this time period, what was happening, the intensity of the effect on, of cultural values on Christians were greater than the uh, the influence of Christians on the wider culture. And there was widespread compromise and complicity. And this was something that Evagoras Ponticus had awoken to, the desert mothers and fathers had awoken to. Um, and so they, so like Jesus in this passage, this passage is a big model for them, like Jesus went out into the desert to do battle with the devil. We need to go out and do battle with the devil as well because the, 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 the threat isn't without, the threat is within. So to be clear, this place that Jesus went and this place that um, 
these desert mothers and fathers were, they, it wasn't a, it, it's not a place where introverts go on a Sabbath. It wasn't a day spa for the soul. Um, the area Jesus was called to, this place called Yeshemen, which literally means devastation. Uh, I am a huge believer in quiet times, coffee, chair. Uh, I've got, you know, sweatpants and I actually have a specific, uh, a few specific pair of sweatpants and sweatshirts that are extra comfortable. And that's kind of where I'm at the stage of my life. Like if you, if you get old enough to where you can discern the difference between varying levels of comfort among sweatpants, I mean, that's where I'm at. So I don't know if that was just getting older, the pandemic or whatever, but whatever. I, there's, I love finding that spot, you know, and you can almost see people who find that spot, you know, and they, and they put it on Instagram and there's pictures of, of flowing rivers and walking barefoot through the meadow and mountains. This is not that. This is a place of devastation. This is a place, uh, there's no food. There's no, not even just no, no food. There's no, and he's with the, with the devil. I mean, I can't think of a, of a worse scenario. I don't like being in places alone for long periods of time. I don't like being in the desert. I don't like not eating food. And I don't really care too much for the company of the devil. And so this is, but this is where Jesus went. And this is where the desert mothers and fathers went. Harry Nowen said this. He said, solitude is not a private therapeutic place. It's a place of conversion, a place where the old self dies and the new self is born. It is a place of the emergence of the new man and the new woman occurs. Solitude is the furnace of our transformation. Without solitude, we remain under the illusion of the false self. It's a place of the great struggle and the great encounter. Encounter with the living God who offers himself as the substance of the new self. It's a place of battle. It's a place of of, of, and I already know, I know I lost some of you in even talking about the devil. Really, the devil, you know, red spandex, horns, a pitchfork, it's seriously, that's a little naive. Um, well, I'm not talking about a cartoon figure. I'm talking about a, a very real, immaterial, intelligent being uh, that Jesus seemed to take seriously. In fact, when we read this passage um, uh, together, Jesus never once questioned his authority. Hey, you don't have the power to do that. He never once questioned. In fact, he's called the prince of this world. And that word prince is a Greek word archon, which means uh, it means the highest ruling authority in an area. So here on earth, the highest, he's got, he's got some power. He's got some means. And, and, and Peter took him seriously. Paul took him seriously. He's mentioned the devil is referred to 250 times in the New Testament. And... Uh, he's active. The Bible says that he's, he goes around like a lion seeking who can devour. His, his, his intent on you is death. He is accuser of the brethren. He, he tells lies all day and all night. And every serious Christian needs to have a strategy for how they're going to do battle with the devil. I was in um, North Carolina month and a half ago. We got a new church in North Carolina, welcoming them in to, their, to our broader family. And it was cool. And the pastor there was a former army ranger. And I thought I was intense. This guy is intense. And he's got three sons that were all army rangers. Our one is, and one son was kind of, was looking a little rough. In fact, he just slept. He was sleeping a lot. 
And I was like, oh, you know, I could take him. Like, he's not going to see much. Well, like, what's going on there? And he's like, well, he just got back from POW training. I'm like, what in the world is that? And uh, he's like, well, they, for, and they, the three brothers did it. He did it. He's like, well, for a month, they treat you like a prisoner of war. They, de- they deprive you of food and water. They torture you. They waterboard you. They beat you. They do uh, uh, sound deprivation, all this stuff. I'm like, why in the world would you do that? Well, because anyone who's likely to be captured by the enemy, they want to prepare them for the enemy. We, uh, starting tomorrow, and we do this three times a year, we're going to go through, as a corporate community, a time of prayer and fasting. And some of you are thinking, have the same response I did to the POW training, which is like, why in the world would you do that? Like, why would you just torture yourself for a week? Well, you and I need to have a strategy of how we're going to do battle with the enemy against our own flesh. We have three enemies of spiritual life, the world, the flesh, the devil. Your flesh is, is a Bible word to refer to that part of you that is not yet submitted to God. The world is the world systems uh, created by people uh, whose flesh is not yet submitted to God. And the devil is the one who lies to get you to believe that the world and your flesh will make you happier than God will. And so we're going to go into these times of fast, fasting and prayer, and I want to encourage you to join with us. And there are resources on the website to know how to do this and what kinds of fast and, and, and how to pray. And so we we're inviting you to, to fast from food and, and, and I would suggest things like entertainment, social media, and anything that would distract you. And so why do we fast? Well, there's a, there's a few reasons. And um, it's the bit, one of the big reasons is this is what the Spirit would lead us to do. And we're going to look at Jesus, and there's, there's some similarities to what he did that we need to do, and there's some things that aren't similar, which I'll point those out. So Jesus prepared himself to meet the devil by fasting. This is what Jesus did. He prepared to meet himself with the devil, to fight the devil uh, by fasting. The Spirit of God led the Son of God through a time of testing. And in this passage, he quotes the Bible. See, I promise we're going to talk about the Old Testament. He quotes the Old Testament three different times, and all three times are in Deuteronomy, chap, uh, Deuteronomy in chapter 8, verse 2. I'll, I'll take you there. It's on the screen. And you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. The Spirit of God led the people of God into the wilderness. God led his Son into the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you. That word the word tempt and test is, is the same word, same Greek word. Testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. And, and he humbled you and let you hunger. So what does this mean? Well, Jesus is our example, but more than he's our example, he is firstly our substitute or our savior. Jesus is standing in the gap for us to deliver us from sin and lead us to the promised land of eternal glory in heaven. And on our behalf, Jesus was led into the wilderness for 40 days to represent 40 years. And like Israel, he was tested. And like Israel, he was hungered. And if he triumphs, he and all of his people will go safely into the promised land. Let me just say this. There was a lot hanging in the balance for you and I when Jesus went into the desert to be tested. If he failed the test 
salvation would not be made available to you. Now, let me spare you the suspense. He succeeded. And because he succeeded, it led him to be able to be the perfect substitute, the spotless, innocent lamb who was slain for your sin and my sin. Let me just say, when Jesus went into the desert, what he was doing, he says, I am identifying with my people. I must represent them in the wilderness and I will allow my heart to be probed with fasting to demonstrate my allegiance. And by the power of the spirit, I will overcome temptation. I will overcome sin. I will overcome the devil. For Jesus, our salvation was at stake. Let me just be really clear. For you and I, when we fast, our salvation is not at stake. Our sanctification is at stake. So so justification, the fact that we are justified and loved by God, it is all doing to the finished work, the life and ministry of Jesus. It has nothing to do with what we do or don't. If you never fast, if you never pray, if you never, never do anything good or bad or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Your salvation has to do with what Jesus has done for you, independently of you. He's not going to love you more if you've, you don't have to fast to prove your self to, to God. Fasting is not a way of getting God's attention. Fasting is a way for God to get our attention, to draw us into his plan, to draw us into his purposes. I don't want, I'm going to leave, I'm going to say very strongly to invite you to participate in this. I think you need this more than you probably realize we need this more than we realize. But let me be so clear. It may that I somehow overestimate our part versus God's part. God, we love because he first loved us. We're not the ones seeking God. God is a seeker of us. He comes after us in the beginning. God, he, he created us and then we sinned and we hid And then what did we do? Did we go find God? No, 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 no. He came, found us. Where are you? And he is still saying to many of us, where are you? He is a seeking God. The priority of scripture is not what we do. The priority of scripture is what God has done on our behalf. I want to be very, very clear. It's what God has done. He is the one seeking. He is the one knocking. He is the one. And he tells tells a parable, the lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. I am the one who seeks. I have come to seek and save the lost. I am the seeking God. I am the one who comes after you. You did not choose me. I chose you. Let us be secure in the love of God. Let us be secure that he loves us. It's why we can have such confidence that we go out in the desert, that we will meet God because he loves us and he's pursuing us. I mean, he's not like, he's like not up in heaven, like a worship louder. Watch the language. But that's what people think God, that's what God's all about. My kids, one of them was, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about this movie by Samuel L. Jackson. And, and, and they're like, oh yeah, the Capital One guy. And I'm like, no, 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 no. He's done way more than just do the Capital. But he's known to them as the Capital One guy. 
For God, for most people, he's known as a Capital One guy. There's so much more. I, so like I'm, I'm yesterday, I play basketball about once a week. I try to go once a week. And to, to exercise and, and, and to meet people. And this always happens. You know, when you're playing basketball, you know, tempers flare, language happens. And so I'm sitting next to a guy afterwards and, and at the end. And, and he, you know, I'm asking him what he does. And he tells me. And he's like, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And you could see it in his face. You could see it in his face. And he, you could see him, like, think back to the last hour and a half. And he... And he says, no lie, he says to me, this ha- happens all the time, oh, I am sorry about the language. That's what he knows about God. That's God's, con- what we do. So let me just be so clear. The priority of scripture is not what you do. Priority of scripture is what God has done on our behalf. This is not about you earning something acquiring something. This is about you receiving something and walking in the grace and mercy of God. So what does this mean for fasting? Well, for those of us who want to follow Jesus, it means hearing the call to voluntarily go without ordinary means of life for a season so that we allow our hearts like Jesus to be probed, that we would experience going out and the Lord reveals what's in our hearts He will reveal to us, he will reveal to you what's in your heart and what really controls you. You have the three enemies of spiritual life, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And uh, you'll find out, is it the spirit of God that controls you? Or is it your own flesh that controls you? And and it was the world that controls you? And and the the devil is, is the one who comes alongside to say, these options are better than following God. That's what he did in the very beginning. Did God really say, this is, oh, you want, you you should go for this because you get, God's holding out on you. He didn't have your best in mind, but I do. And so it's from the beginning. Richard Foster said this, more than any other single discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus. Do we have anybody here who wants to be transformed into the image of Jesus? A few? Great. Awesome. We cover up what is inside us with food and other good things. Have you ever, have you ever known someone who's became an alcoholic? And you, you can, it's, it's not hard to predict. You can trace that cut, there's a pain in their life that they're trying to mask or they're trying to cover up. And you can see that. You and I do that with food. You and I do that with comfort. You and I do that with entertainment. We do that with consumerism, with individualism. On and on and on and on it goes. But in fasting, these things surface. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. Uh, David says in Psalm 63.10, I humble my soul with fasting. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife. Fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize our anger is due to our hunger. Then we know that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. I relate 100% to this. I remember when I first started fasting, um, I get really irritable and I get angry. And I was, I, was, I was the worst person when I fasted. My wife was like, why do you fast? Right, is this supposed to be like meadows and like 
happy times and are you supposed to be getting closer to God? You seem like you're getting further. So I was like, well, I shouldn't fast because all I do is get angry. But then I realized, actually, I was already angry. I was, food and other things were just masking what was really going on in me. So fasting is God's testing ground. Here's good news. It's also his healing ground. He reveals it so he can heal it. He reveals it so he can heal it. Change it, transform you. That's what he's up to. Will we murmur as the Israelites murmured when they had no bread? Will we leave the path of obedience and turn stones into bread? Now, I gotta be honest with you. I've never been tempted to turn a stone into bread. I've not been sitting in my backyard and thinking, oh, I'd like to turn that into bread. But here's what that means. It means that we begin to take control of our own lives. There's things that I know that will make me happy, I believe will make me happy, and I'm gonna go around making it happen on my own, and in my own power, in my own strength, because I, we don't say this out loud, but subconsciously, or maybe consciously, we would say, God doesn't know what really will make me happy, but I do. The aim of fasting, therefore, I told you this was gonna be intense, didn't I? I warned you. Okay, good. Um, you still don't like it. Okay, I get it. The, to rely less on food and more on God himself. This is the meaning that man should not live on bread alone. Every time we fast, we are saying with Jesus, bread does not feed me, God does. Uh, bread does not sustain me, God does. Uh, in the wilderness, God gave his people manna. And it is clear in the Bible, as we'll see this here in a second, that it's something they've never heard of. They've never seen it. It was miracle bread from heaven. Why did God do this? Well, Brian, because they were hungry. He did it to feed them. That's not actually what the Bible says. Let me show you what the Bible says. He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your father. So this was un supernatural provision. That he might make you know that bread does not, excuse me, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He gave them bread to teach them that they don't live by bread. He gave them bread to teach them that they don't live by bread, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Bible says in James that every perfect gift comes from the Father above. He gives, he gives you and I money to teach us that we do not live on money alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He gives us relationships and careers and fulfillment to teach us that that's not what we live by. We live by every word that comes. So who pays your bills? Who holds your life together? Who has your heart the giver or the gift? A lot of people filling up churches because God does good things for me. So Jesus, very interestingly, he, you know, if you, if you kind of move over a few seasons of the chosen to the feeding of the 5,000 from this moment, he feeds them miraculously. 
5,000 people, 5,000 families, so 20,000 people. And uh, they connected the dots. They're like, oh my gosh, this, our, our, this happened to our forefathers and, and mothers in the desert, miracle. And, and it's happening again. This guy must be like another great Moses and they wanted to make him king. And, 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 and Jesus kind of senses where they're at and says, you think this is about the bread, don't you? Let me tell you something about the bread in the wilderness. Your forefathers ate that bread and they died. It, it wasn't the bread that sustained them. It was God that sustained them. So let me hear, are you here for the bread or are you here for God? And they're like, well, actually, we're here for the bread. So, we're, they're at, so they left. They all left. Unbelievable. Just got miracle bread from heaven. And you know what? We're more interested in the bread than we are you. So we'll take you if, you, if it comes with bread. But if it doesn't come with bread, we're not interested in you. And they left. So he turns to his disciples. He turns to his 12. He's like, hey, do you guys want to go too? What are you after? Are you after the bread? Are you after me? And Peter, the spokesman, says, where else would we go? Only you have the words of life. So what is it for you? Is it the bread? Or is it Jesus? You want to find out? Come fast. Come give things up. Is it the giver or the gift? For the crowd, it was the gift, not the giver. For the 12, it was the giver, not the gift. How, how do you do this? Well, I find Galatians 5 helpful in talking about fasting and how this works to our benefit. But I say, Paul says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So this war going on, right? This war language, this battle with the world of flesh, the devil. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. You see the world, the spirit of God right now is ascending God and is wanting to send you and I into the world to love people. In fact, if you read 1 John 4, it says that you do not love, that, that's where we get that passage. You, you didn't love me, I loved you. you. You love because I first loved you. And if you believe this love, if this love abides in you, you'll have confidence and, and you will love other people. So Jesus doesn't say, hey, I've poured out love to you. I have served you. Now you in return love and serve me. He doesn't say that. He says, I have poured out my love in your life. I have come and served you. Now go love and serve your brother and your sister. He never says it. He says, go love your brother and your sister. He's wanting us to capture us up into his. So if we believe this love, we'll have confidence. We'll be secure. We'll be happy and it'll work itself out horizontally in the life of others, which means that we go out and we do the mission that he's called us to. And we talk a lot about that here at Jubilee Church. Know God, find family, discover purpose, make a difference. So what do we do? How do we, how do we live that way? Where do we, well, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its power. Now crucifixion is a, is a, that's a, that's a bloody word. That is a, you know, nailed to a cross, dead corpse. I have taken the world and I put it up on a cross. It is a dead corpse to me. Well, how do we do that? Well, we do it through fasting. 
we do it. We, we allow our hearts to be probed that way. And because we need to, we need to come against the lies of the enemy. And the lies of the enemy are powerful. You see, we're in this battle. It's not flesh and blood, principalities and powers. And the devil is a, is a master manipulator. Master. And if you've ever been manipulated by someone who's just like, how in the world did they do that? You, you've seen the, uh, the movie Inception? Um, anyway, it's about this movie where they plant a lot. Um, it's about this movie where they plant an idea in their head. That's how they get them to. And so it's not someone coming to them and saying, hey, you're, this is what I want you to believe. They get them to believe it's their idea. It's just mind-bending, masterful manipulation. The devil's way better than that. Way better than that. And he's after your death. His assault is on your identity in Christ, or I'll say it this way, what God has already spoken over you. And his mode of attack is lies. See, most people think the, the, the enemy, they, you know, he gets people to levitate and foam at the mouth and whatever. That's not, he may do that, but what he really does is he lies. That's what Jesus said. He's a murderer from the beginning. There's no truth in him at all. Uh, he, he, he is a father of lies, and when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. I mean, he's just, he's, he's a liar. He's a liar. He's, he accuses the brethren every day, every night. So how do you, so this is what he did with Jesus. In Matthew 4, 3, and we'll close with this. The tempter came and said to him, if, if, if you are the son of God. You know what Matthew three seventeen says? It's, a, it's, the, it's the chapter before 4 if you're not good at math. It's the very last verse before four. God, the father from heaven says, this is my beloved son. The enemy comes to Jesus and says, if, if he has the audacity to stand in front of Jesus and think that he can get him to question what the father has spoken over his life, you better believe he's going to do that to you. Are you ready for that? Are you prepared for that? Do you have a strategy for that? That's what fasting's all about. It's not to prove that you're somehow a, a good Christian and God's going to love you. He's already loved you. He poured out his son. He bled and died on a cross. He gave it all. That's dealt with. This is about your fruitfulness. This is about you really seeing what life is all about. This is about your future. This is about the future of people you love. It's about your faith. She's going to come after you. She's going to come after your identity. If, you know, if you loved God, if God loved you, he wouldn't let A, B, or C happen. If God loved you. See, Jesus, it wasn't just that he quoted scripture. It's that he, he says, I don't need to test what God has already declared over my life. And neither do you. It's huge. 
So why, you need to not feed on bread, you need to feed on, on God. And he's the substance. Remember, I love that quote. He is the substance of this new man, this new woman. He, he'll go after that. He'll go, you know, he'll, he'll say, you know, if you, if you, you can't be happy unless, you can't be happy and single. You get me? Make, go make that happen. You, you can't be happy and not have lots of money. Go, go make that happen. You can't be happy and have like a really successful career. Go make that happen. You can't be happy and not be approved by other people. Go make that happen. Turn this stone into bread. If, I'll get you a question that God's love for you. If you, if you know, God really loved you, you wouldn't be in this situation. What would he, would he let happen to his son? Remind me. He became nothing. He was murdered on a cross like a common criminal. Even in this passage, he went from the dove to the devil. I'll take the dove, please. The dove, dove came down like the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit came down like a dove. Holy Spirit came down and he goes off and battles. Your situation... Your situation has nothing to do with God's love for you. It's independent of you. That's why it's so important to believe that the big thing about God is not what you do. It's not your part, it's God's part. And so we're gonna take this time, we're gonna fast, we're gonna, we're gonna prepare our hearts uh, before him. We're gonna allow God to come to us to be strengthened and to be ministered by his spirit to, to, to ground ourselves in what is true and, and the declaration of, that God has over our life and to align our hearts with his mission. Because like the desert mothers and fathers, we have come to a place where there's much complicity and compromise amongst the culture we're in, but it didn't have to be that way. We, like these desert mothers and fathers, need to go back, and like Jesus, need to go out into the desert. We need to go out of these places to allow our hearts to be probed so that we cannot feed just our flesh alone, that we not eat bread that will, is not what feeds us, but we get fed by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Would you stand with me, please? We need to fast to fight our flesh and reaffirm our faith. Jesus, I, I don't want to lose sight of the, the big news of this passage is that you passed the test. You were the innocent one. You were the perfect one who is slaughtered for us. You are, the, you are the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. God, you passed the test. You passed a test that we could never pass on our own. God, we thank you that your love for us is independent of our performance. God, I pray that we would be those, we'd be men and women who believe in that love. And that love would, would transform us. Psalm 63 says, the steadfast love of the Lord is better in life. That's it. That's a phrase to just think about. I believe that. Have you experienced anything that, that you would say, oh, that's better than life itself?
God's love is that good. He invites you to receive. His mercies are new every morning. He just gives it to us. He's here, he's available, he wants to demonstrate. He says he stands at the door and knocks. He's at your door knocking. He wants to first and foremost communicate how much he loves you. He wants you to be secure in that love. And he wants to invite you. He wants to invite you into, I just call like a 3D way of living, a new paradigm. He wants to invite you to walk the path that he walked. Jesus, we just thank you for this. And we, God, we pray, Lord, we want our hearts to be probed. We want, we, we don't want bread, we want you. We want your word. You sustain us, your life. Bread's not life. God, would we, Lord, have the, the courage and the, to push away distraction push away, to get away from the noises, to get away from to go out into the desert place, Lord, to reveal what's really going on in us, to crucify our flesh, to realign our hearts with you. Lord, that's where life is. Life is with you. We pray. I pray for this week, Lord Jesus. I just pray for amazing times with you, that you would show us things that maybe have been hidden to us, but get revealed to us, both as individuals and as a corporate community together.